We are live from the Midwest Haunters Convention in Chicago. That's coming up on today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On The HAN Show, we bring you the news and information you need to prepare for Halloween. And you know, we can only cover so much on this podcast, so the best way to keep up to date with all the spooky happenings around the country is to join our free weekly industry newsletter. The link is in our show notes. Today, I'm playing an episode from our sister show, Green Tagged Theme Park and 30, hosted by myself and Scott Swenson. In it, Scott and I are on location at the Midwest Haunters Convention, and we're breaking down the biggest takeaways for you. And just as a reminder, we used to air Green Tag in this feed, but we no longer do that. It has its own standalone feed, so if you want to hear more of this type of content, you can subscribe to that. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, also on YouTube. Enjoy. From the lobby of the convention center in <laughs> Chicago, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and Scott, hello, Scott. I know, we're actually in the same, we're in the same room, we're in the same country, we're in the same state. We're sharing microphones. We're using the same microphone. It's amazing. Oh, my God. Here we are. So, Scott, we're in Chicago for Midwest Hunters Convention, and we should talk about that. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh so it's it's my first time being back at Midwest in a long, long time, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's interesting to see because you know people will often say what's the difference between the different haunt shows, um, like you know Transworld and and Midwest and all the others, and um, we were we were discussing this last night actually over dinner, at, at the fact that this is this feels like it's obviously more of a regional show, hence the term Midwest Haunters <laughs> Convention, um, but uh, but it's been a, it's been an interesting show in the fact that there's not a whole lot of uh, I won't say there's a ton of like new earth-shattering, groundbreaking mm-hmm. stuff that we've seen, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know whether that's necessarily the point of this particular show, because it does come later in the season. You know, it's that's it's true. it's significantly after, um, obviously after Transworld, and mm-hmm. at this point in time, so many of the professional haunters are already buttoned up and you know ready to go. They've they've made their orders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this is this is more of a show for the the smaller independent haunters. As well as uh, home haunters, and you know, just people who are crazy excited about their about the Halloween season. Yeah. So it's uh, it's 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 really unique. Um, it does seem it does feel to me like there's a lot of, I guess, a lot more uh, consumer enthusiasm. You know, there's a lot of people that that are just excited mm-hmm. about Halloween here. Um, the thing that stuck out to me is just how many they have a costume contest, but there's just a lot like that. People are just wandering around in costumes. You know. Oh yeah, it's there is there is um, <clears throat> a large element of of fan show yeah. with this. Yeah. Um, lots of haunt actors. Uh, yeah. That's I think the as far as attendees go, that's who I have run into the most. Which is honestly one of the reasons that I'm here. You know, um, one of the projects that I'm working on is based in uh, in Barrington, which is just outside of Chicago, and <clears throat> we actually decided to do our auditions for that during this show because we knew it was going to be filled with with haunt actors and we've had so much interest that i'm actually flying back next weekend to do another round of auditions um based on uh names and and emails that you know we signed up for so there's a lot of there's there's a lot of the folks on the trade show floor are haunt actors or haunt enthusiasts and makeup artists and, and scenic builders and that sort of thing um but I will say that so many of the vendors that we've talked to uh, are basically sold out or yep. booked out of mm-hmm. their product. You know, one of the vendors that I talked to actually said, because of the nature of this show, 
<clears throat> they're actually here to to sell off their their. It's like a bump and dent sale. Um, yeah. They're here to sell off some of the product that's that's not the top quality, but um, is sitting in their warehouse. And they figure, you know, a home haunter because their their stuff is really high quality to begin with. But a home haunter, you know, might be fine that there's an air bubble in the casting or whatever. Yeah. Because um, they feel they can cover it up with something, <laughs> and especially if they can get a top quality product for a significantly reduced price. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, almost every there, like there was one product. Um, and I wish I had it with me because I'd like to demonstrate it, but I don't. Uh, there's one product that uh, is called the Aztec Death Whistle, and it sounds exactly like a human scream. Um, it was sold out within the first, I would say, hour of the show. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a perfect example of people are, are ready to buy. I mean, clearly ready to buy this season. Uh, most of the, the vendors and, and manufacturers are, <clears throat> if not sold out, booked out, based on the capacity that they can, that they can produce. Yep. And uh, and certainly the higher end vendors are are stuck, um, stuck in that position as well. Yeah, yeah. So I I would say going on that, I thought some of the takeaways are I still think for smaller attractions that stuff like this is a good opportunity for you Absolutely. to get in front of your potential clients. <coughs> and we do see a lot of them here. We see like the Chicago Zombie Walk mm-hmm. and the, all those smaller smaller local attractions that are here that are talking to locals, right? There's a lot of locals here talking to people within the driving distance. And then I think on the flip side, also from the operator standpoint, it's like this just underscores how, you know, maybe the traditional buying schedule for theme parks and attractions may not be the same as it used to. It, well, and, and I think it... Or it, it shouldn't be the same? Well, I don't think it can be the same anymore because, again, there are... I hate to keep using the term post-COVID, but... Um, since COVID was an, it became an issue, there are a lot of vendors that have gone out of business. Yep. So therefore, um, there are fewer and fewer places to get stuff. And it's no longer, it's no longer just a situation where it's, I'll just go to somebody else. <clears throat> somebody else doesn't have it either. Uh, you know, you, you either get your orders in early or you have to either make your own or go without. Mm-hmm. Because, um, so many of the, especially the scenics and the props and the, and the animations, they, their shops can only make so many between now and delivery in, you know, August or September. Yep. So uh, I think that the, the, the thing that I'm seeing illustrated here over and over again, again, going back to your takeaway, is if you don't, if you don't get your stuff, and, and, and the vendors that I've talked to say it's only going to get worse. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Yeah. So it, you need to start, if you as a, as a theme park owner, operator, um, manager, you need to start backing up your timelines to get your creative done sooner and then get your orders in. But what that means is you have less flexibility to continually change things. Yep. Um, so you need to, you need to back up your timeline at least six months from where it yep. is right now. Yep. I mean, we, we, we've talked about this before, but it's just, it's just things are difficult. It, it, it's all, this is all part of the same problem, right? The staffing makes it difficult. We know a lot of teams that are still struggling to get back to full capacity at the theme park level. Right. And that means that they don't have as much help to plan the seasonal activations out as long as they all know they need to. And then, and now, then that leads into this ordering problem and you just don't, you just don't have the designs ready or you don't have everything fully signed off by all the team members and it slows us down. But this is the problem we're getting into. And, yeah, I, I do think it's going to come to impact some of the events this season. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And and again, it, I think it's something that we have to recognize it's going to impact this season. And what can we do so it doesn't impact next season? That's yeah. really the most important thing, I think, 
I would like people to recognize, and certainly something that was illustrated in no uncertain terms here at Midwest. Um, yeah. The <clears throat> like even with uh, even with the haunt that I'm the local haunt that I'm working on here. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, with Terra Roulette, we've had a challenge with um, people are are saying, well, it's it's kind of early to start thinking. Of, no, it's not. No, it's late. It's, it's late it's to start late, thinking yeah. about casting and staffing. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we all just have to train our minds to think. Haunt the haunt industry, and you know, you and I have said it for years. But the haunt industry has to be a year-round gig because yeah. you have to be planning for the next year almost about the time you're finishing up the previous year. Yeah. Um, so that you can get your orders in, you can get your um, you can get your cast lined up, you can get your your additions built, you can uh, get your your video or, or audio recorded. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that's going to take longer and longer, and with fewer and fewer outside vendors to help, um, it's going to be essential that you work smart and long range. Versus Harden in a panic short uh, short term. Yeah, the other big takeaway I thought was b- before to give context here, before the trade show was the haunt tours, and it was one day where they did a bus tour and they took you to Hush and Erebus and Eloise, and then there was a Friday night experience at the, at Juliet, the old Juliet Prison by Thirteenth mm-hmm. Floor, so. Hush is one of my clients, so I was at Hush, working at Hush, kind of the for the full day. I didn't do the full tour, but what I saw was, you know, it, it's that you know there, there was a, there just I, the importance of that type of thing, like the importance of people touring facilities. It's so important, and I know that we have that we do this. You know, I, everyone does. IAPA does this. We Florida Trash Association. Like, there's all sorts of groups that do this, but it's like. It's still important when you're doing a specialty thing like Halloween. It's still important <coughs> to tour facilities to, just to understand. And we had a lot of people ask about because we at Hush we have the secret bars. That's our bar program was our thing, and we had the bars open, and that was a big deal for us to be able to have the bars open to show people this is how they work. This is how the secret bars operate. This is how the drinks operate. You know that was a big deal, and it is difficult. I know I was talking to. Erebus, he said 60% of his show was dark for the tour because they were under construction. Right. So, that, you know, it's again, it's this whole difficult thing. Like, it, you know, if you're working on the attraction year-round, you're in the middle of build season. So it's like there's only a few months where you could even tour really other facilities. But then you're also busy at your facility. It's a, it's a tricky balance. But I, I think it's important. And that, that's what I took away from the people who were there, all these industry professionals, is it's so critical for you to see... You know, it's fine to still go to Disney and go to Universal and go see how these bigger chains operate and see how they do their shows. But you you need to see other haunts. You oh, need, absolutely. You need to see how they're doing it. If, you're, if you have a haunt, you need to see how other haunts right. do it. Right. And if you are and if you have, you know, I, I know that there are some folks, and believe me, I've talked to them for many, many years. There are some folks who believe, well, we're a theme park. We don't really have to go look at independent haunts or we don't really have to look. There's nothing we can learn from a home haunter. And then at the same time, they'll turn around and go, well, we're so over budget. Yeah. Well, there's a lot you can learn then from an independent haunter or a home haunter because they take they take the shoestring budget that they have and try to tell the same kinds of stories that you're telling in a in a giant theme park setting. Um, so if you want to if you want to learn how to to work smart, not expensive, um, go and visit some other haunts and see what choices they've made. Uh, and so and you know the other thing to recognize is you will learn not only what you should do but what you shouldn't do by yeah. visiting other haunts. You go yeah. this this doesn't work for me and I don't ever. But what I, what's really funny for me is some I, I've talked to so many people who said. 
I didn't really care about that. I didn't really care for that at that haunt or that experience. Yeah. And then they go back and realize, oh, wait a minute. We do that here. Yep. So it's, it's, it's nice to be on the other side of the coin, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see the operations, how people are handling guest flow and the throughput, and just you, you can see the other other ways of, of approaching the same type of problem. Sure. See what you and and all it. too often, you know, when we're running a, when we're running, whether it's a haunt or anything else, when we're running it, we, um, we are focused on what is easiest for us and what is the, the exactly. operational side. Exactly. But when all of a sudden you jump, yeah. jump to the other side of the railing and uh, you're a guest, you yeah. realize, Ooh, this does not make my experience good. Uh, or this makes my experience great and it didn't do, it was really easy for them to do. So yeah, yeah there's yeah. always learnings from visiting other attractions. It's interesting to me because I, I spoke to a lot of the owners and operators that came through that I just recognized uh -huh. uh, who were coming through at, at the end. And, you know, there was, we were, we kept on schedule and so they had time to eat at house. We, we served them lunch. But what it kind of reminded me of is that as a, you know, as a reporter, as a journalist, this being my beat, I get to, I see all these attractions, you know, but just seeing some of the haunters who really never get to do anything outside right. of their state or, you know, they, maybe they get that one, you know, trade ticket trade that they do with, you know, your neighboring haunt and they get to go see that. So you, it's like you're hyper aware of what's going on next door, but you have no clue that one state over, they have a solution to this thing that you've right. been thinking about. Right. And, you know, I think that's why what we, that's, that's one of the reasons I think what what we do is so important to go and, and bear witness. But it, it kind of like I can I can make a video, you know, and I can talk about it all day. But I think I kept hearing this all day. I kept hearing, Phil, we loved your videos of Hush. It was phenomenal. It is nothing like seeing it. Right. I finally understand. <coughs> yeah, it's then it, that's so true. And, and the biggest, you know, we and I've heard it on the on the show floor here when we've been talking about different haunts and asking, you know, have you seen different people in different haunts or different yeah. haunts experiences? Yeah. They're like, well, no, because I'm always working my haunt. Yeah. So I don't get a chance to go out and see other people's uh, work. So that's another reason why these kinds of bus tours are so very important at these kinds of trade shows. And I realize they are difficult. Uh, you know yeah. it, you worked it. They're difficult yeah. for the for the, the haunt to to bring everything up to speed and get all their their staffing and their... yeah. The, we definitely the, lost money. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but you gained you gained recognition. Yeah, you know it is it's these should not be looked at as necessarily um, uh, financial wins. These are these are fundraisers, not fundraisers. You know, and that's a good point. I mean, you do need you do need friends. You never know the talent. You know, we've how many times have we seen people that we know bounce around between all different companies? Of course. Well, and again, looking at talent in this market, I'm not familiar with this market, but. I've talked to multiple people who um, either have or will audition for us in the near future, and they're like, "Well, I've been working at such and such a haunt for so many years, and I've been looking for a new, I've been looking for a new gig. So it's kind of fun to see that there's a new kid in town, and uh, and then what's going to happen is if we play our cards right, we'll be able to get um, the experience that they got from other haunts to uh, to to be utilized to help us get better. So yeah, yeah, friends are good. So I think. In keeping with the theme of we're, we're at Midwest Honors Convention, we're talking about Halloween. There have been a lot of Halloween announcements that have come out recently. And we'll kind of take them, I guess, one at a time. But the probably the biggest one is that Halloween time is coming back at Disneyland. And this year, they're beginning September 1st through October 31st. And, you know, it, looking at the line, it's basically the same thing they've been doing previously. 
in terms of entertainment, nothing is changing. What is changing is the time. You know, it's coming back for that the full two months, the same as Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando. So it's it's really bringing that full time of September and October to the West Coast. And I think Disney didn't Disney gave a nod towards that in their press release by just saying that um, this will give fans extra opportunity to enjoy the Halloween, which is, which is, a, which is a, I just thought it was a funny nod to it. And the other thing is that Oogie Boogie Bash is returning for 25 select evenings from September 5th through October 31st, which is also its longest run. So they're basically, they're keeping the offerings the same for Halloween time, but they are expanding the timeline and they are expanding the number of nights and the date range for Oogie Boogie Bash. Oogie Boogie Bash will have new characters and some new activations, but none of that has been announced yet. So it's just the time yeah, right now. Well, and, and again, we've seen this trend. We've seen this trend continue over the last several years. Is that you know Halloween used to start at the last two weekends of October, and then it has just continued to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, and that's very simply because the demand continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, we're not quite at the point where where year round is commonplace, mm. but uh, and I there's a part of me that kind of hopes we don't get there. Yeah, because there's something very special about yeah. you know looking forward to the Halloween season. Yeah, no, I I actually agree. I do not. So a lot of people have talked to me about us and our coverage of the Horror Nights expansion into Vegas and mm-hmm. the It thing. Let me be clear. I do not believe that you should do a year round haunted attraction in. Most markets. I think if you're going to do it, it's only it needs to be over 50 million in tourism in the city that you're in, and you need to be in a high foot traffic area. I don't believe you should do a haunt year round, and that's because they're terrible. They're really terrible businesses. Mm-hmm. You need the demand to fill it because they're like restaurant restaurants. Every time you open your doors, you're just losing money. Right, and you need to get enough people to right. offset the money you're <clears throat> losing. So I don't believe you should do it. Now I believe that year round horror has a place in almost any market because look at horror movies come out year round because there are streaming there's the last of us there's so many horror as a genre can work and i think year round horror can work i do not think year round haunted houses are a good idea yeah i i <clears throat> i agree but i do think that because the demand is there that's why we're seeing parks expand their their date ranges earlier and earlier and earlier each year and some are even going later and later. You yeah. know, it all depends on where Halloween falls, too. You know, this, yeah. this year Halloween falls on a Tuesday, so my guess is they will end with Halloween on Tuesday. But in the, in the coming years, when Halloween is like on a Thursday, they may go all the way through Saturday or Sunday yep. into November. Yep. So on that chain, Knott's is kicking off their 50th anniversary this year for Knott's Scary Farm. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting to me, they are not opening earlier at all actually they're they're i believe this makes them they announced that they'll be opening on september 21st they are offering a season pass for pass holders they can add they can add a season pass to come every night for 149.99 so they can add it for 150 dollars on top of your season pass if you uh-huh. have one and you can come in september 21st through halloween it's only available on select nights mainly weekends so it, it's just it's interesting because it's their 50th anniversary celebration and they are going to be the last park to open in the SoCal region mm-hmm. for their 50th and it's only going to be on select nights which means their run is going to be much much smaller. So I guess just it's just interesting to me I guess I was thinking they would open earlier or that they would extend their select nights. And I'm I'm not saying they that we should hold 
them to the same standard as Universal Orlando because the market's larger and the park's larger. But when you contrast, when you compare and contrast, you have Disneyland that starts September 1st. That's almost three weeks earlier. And their Halloween offerings are available every day. And then Orlando, as a select experience, they start September 1st. And they're doing Wednesday through Sunday right off the bat. And so here we're not, not even starting until Friday, Saturday. And then, you know, so it's like it's almost, it's, it's almost like, a, like a regular haunted house. Well, and, and to me, I kind of look at it and think um, with Disney, for example, and maybe you can answer this question. I don't know. <clears throat> with Disney, since it is a family-friendly and kind of a, a, a reskinning, so to speak, of, yeah. of the experience, my guess is that Disney is cross-utilizing a lot of their uh, day assets. And by that, I mean their staff more yeah. than anything. Um, so, you know, instead of instead of Mickey and Minnie going out and uh, and waving in their hometown square costumes, they go out and wave in their Halloween costumes, yeah. um, <clears throat> which makes it, which would make it easier to start earlier because you don't have to bring on additional staffing um, earlier to do that. So family friendly events, generally speaking, can start earlier because they're bringing in they're, they're cross utilizing their labor that they already have, reskinning their product and retheming it. When you get into things like Halloween Horror Nights or or um, Not Scary Farm, you've got uh, you bringing in a completely different audience, a completely different cast, um, a significantly larger uh, contingent. And and you know with with Knots, I'm not. I don't think. I'm curious to see how it's going to play out because I don't think it's necessarily wrong to do less if you can get the level of excitement and energy based on the crowd size, if you can get that elevated, it makes the experience better for everybody who goes to it. If it's too low, it, it, it's less exciting. And if yeah. it's too high, you're standing in queue the whole night. So I'm curious to see if they're trying to find what that right balance is. I yeah. don't know, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. I guess the only other thing I was thinking is that it's, um, they haven't announced what they're going to do for the 50th anniversary yet. It just seems to me like, is this a, I guess my, in my brain, I'm wondering, is this a staffing issue? We, I mean, we just talked about the creative teams being cut back. I'm yeah. not sure how Cedar, how, how the, that, how everything is working over there right now. I know there was a lot of movement after mm-hmm. post pandemic and whatnot, mm-hmm. but to me, it's like, well, it's your 50th. Shouldn't it be a big deal? And shouldn't we have started the PR machine and the announcement machine and getting things kind of... <clears throat> My guess is, and I have no insider information, so this is completely conjecture, but it sounds to me as though they had plans and then didn't have the finances to execute them. Mm. So therefore, they've had to change. This sounds like, because they haven't announced anything, because they're, you know, in essence, starting things late or paring yeah. things back, um, <clears throat> it sounds like there's some decisions that are being rethought or remade. And I don't know whether those are based on, um, you know, the park profit margin or whether those are based on staffing or whether those are based on just <clears throat> why are we doing this? Do we need to do this? I don't know. Yeah. But I, I, I think it leads to a really good takeaway for everybody, and that is one mediocre decision is significantly better than no really good decisions. Yeah. You know, the longer you wait to implement something, the longer you wait to pull the trigger, um, the less likely it is that you're going to be able to successfully and cost-effectively install it. Yep. Yep. Yep, I do agree with that. So also speaking, I don't know if that's speaking about that in particular, but in keeping with the theme of expanding events and, and Halloween seasons, Ocean Park is going to hire 1,200 temporary staff this year for the Halloween event, which last year they hired 
800 people. So it is a significant increase in the number that they're hiring temporary. It includes 500 roving characters, stuntmen and actors to perform in the haunted houses and the performance shows. And previously, this Halloween event was the largest in Asia, mm-hmm. right? Then there's pandemic and there was changes in the leadership. Right. And they went through that crisis that we've talked about that that all institutions that are not... I mean, it's a conservation institution, and it's a kind of like a state-owned sure, park. Sure. And so they did go through that crisis of, is 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 this in keeping with our brand identity? And then, as Scott has talked about many times, um, when it came down to how much money did it make versus our our uh, does it fit with our brand? You know, they realized that money is good too, and money can help them conserve things and, and yeah, help money, with conservation. If, if, it, if it brings in if it brings in dollars that can be used for conservation programs, you know, I've I've worked with many many organizations that have their feet in the entertainment and the education side. You know, one foot in one side, one foot in the other, yeah. and there there's always that discussion, and there should always be that discussion of how far are we going one way or the other. I think as long as you can identify for Halloween, for example, or Christmas is the same way. Um, as long as you can identify, this is the brand of this event, yep. which financially supports the um, yep. the conservation side of the rest of the year, yep. then it's it's totally justified, and yep. it also puts people into the park more often. Yes, you know, seasonal activations, as we've said ad nauseum, seasonal activations bring people back yes. to the park. Yeah, well, it, so it's it's just interesting that they are. Going back in the direction, basically, <clears throat> kind of like this. This is this they shows have to make up for lost time. They've yes. been dark for a couple of years. Yes, and this shows a full commitment. I mean, twelve hundred for that area is a lot because the competition is is there's Disneyland, you know, Hong Kong Disneyland, and there's these guys, and that's it. There's a, there's nothing else there. So it's not there's not like they're competing against a lot of people. And that being said, the reason why it's it's such a difficult thing is the staffing. Because there's not many attractions in the area, not many theme parks, there's just not the scare actors. Where are you going to – so this many – and I, when I talked about this when I did the story with that before, they're flying people in from other countries and they're housing them there. So 1,200 people means they're going to be bringing in people <coughs> from other countries to work to be to, – and try, have to train them to be scare actors. Yeah, I was. it's funny because I was just going to say you know this market better than I do and that is are yeah. they going to be able to find 1,200? No. And the answer is no. No. But you know, it's that's something that that years and years ago, um, Bush Gardens used to do even for frontline employees. Yep. Um, they would bring them in from other countries. They would provide housing. Yep. Uh, I know that that's happening. <clears throat> excuse me. I know that that's happening at uh, SeaWorld, Yas Island, Abu Dhabi. Um, they're bringing people in from other countries yep. to to pretty much do any and all of the not just the performance, but also the frontline frontline labor positions because the market is just not there. To have those kinds of people to hire, yeah. So they have to right. they have to cast wider nets. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I I was just it's funny that you said that because I was just thinking, I don't know whether I'd want to try to cast twelve hundred people even in this market, which yeah. I know, um, but in a market that I didn't know, that could be really. There's really not. Yeah. Well, so we would be remiss if we did not talk about this news as it was relatively large across all all spheres, uh, basically. As I'm sure our listeners are already aware, but Disney and Apple announced a collaboration on their VR AR storytelling experiences. So, so for the background, um, Apple unveiled their new Vision Pro VR system, and they did a combined. Um, 
announcement with Disney. Disney CEO Bob Iger joined CEO Tim Cook at Apple WWDC 23 to announce Disney's collaboration for future VR and AR endeavors with Apple's just announced Vision Pro headset. Um, so <laughs> I feel like there's, there's, this is just like, it could be really cool you'll have to wait and see. That seems like this whole thing. There's not many details about either item. The item doesn't go on sale until early 2024. Uh, the Vision Pro is set at about $3,500 retail price, $3,499. And, you know, Bob is, is great. He's always great at setting the vision and getting people excited about ideas. But that's just what it seemed like to me. He said you could do things like using the Vision Pro, it, using the Vision Pro's VR to its full advantage. It would be possible to do things like sit in their own Star Wars speed car on Tatooine while watching the latest episode of Mandalorian. So I think he is trying to paint the vision of an extended experience and bring it into your room and blah, blah, blah. But we don't have any details and we don't have any of those I will just note that when Apple announced that product, um, it's been the rockiest product launch they've announced in 20 years. Their stock took a, a dip because investors weighed prospects of the company's pricing new computer, eyewear, Vision Pro, and critics called it nerd goggles. So this is not a surprise to me. I have been telling people that this, this was going to be their, their rockiest product launch in 20 years. If you just look, though, at the history... Everything else has made sense, and it's been an iteration in the past right. several decades. Right. So every new product has been met with like, with stock upticks and increases. This is the first time it's it's been like, you know, I'm not sure, but you could. I'm sure an analyst out there has already done the research in terms of saying how much did the stock dip cost them versus how much did they invest to make it, and right. probably was not good. But I'm sure right. they're hoping that when it comes out, and I'm sure that's the whole reason for the Disney collaboration, honestly. I was just going to say, that's, yeah. that sounds to me like the, the perfect reason to announce this Disney collaboration, just to put a little shot in the arm going, <clears throat> this is not just a standalone piece of tech, this is, they're making it more accessible. Yeah, like, we opinion. already have partners on board, the best storytellers in the world, know, in the world yeah. and yep. you know, are vouching for this technology. Yeah, and and it could mean that you can do this, this, and this. I also think it's interesting that it is Disney because you know Disney has has pulled back on their metaverse yes, research. That's exactly it. And and now moving forward on their on their um, virtual and augmented reality side, um, yeah. and I think that's I, I think that is a, a a much more accessible choice. Yeah. Um, I think that metaverse is still too much of a concept um, because. And, and, and I also like their approach and the fact that, you know, in order for the metaverse to work, there has to be um, real-world application. And that's something that Disney can do with their, with their eyes closed. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that this is a sort of a little bit of a sidestep for yeah. Disney, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I think it's a win-win. I think it's, it's – Disney's – what Disney gets out of it, from my perspective, is uh, they get to say – Okay, we're on the we're back on the bleeding edge of, yeah. of technology, yeah. and Apple, as you said, gets to say uh, we're, we're we've already got some of the best storytellers on board. But my take was it's all going according to plan, as I think you and I talked about the last time we talked about this, which is that you know it's like the the metaverse and that whole thing. There's going to be an infrastructure right. that's going to power. All, all of that system. Right. And we talked about previously where it's like Disney realized they don't have to make the infrastructure. Right. If they have right. incredible stories, people will come to them. And what right. just happened? Apple is like, we have this new infrastructure. And who did they go to? Did they run to as Disney. their partners? With Disney. Yep. And Dis because with Iger back, he mm -hmm. is saying, what we do is tell great stories. If we are the best storytellers, if we have the best IP, 
it doesn't matter what the world is doing because they will come to us for to that. To us to tell that story. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Well, this particular story is over for this week because uh, uh, we have hit our we have hit our thirty plus minute mark um, from the Midwest Honors Convention in uh, Rosemont, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. On behalf of Philip Hernandez and myself, Scott Swenson, this is Green Tag Theme Park in Thirty, and we will see you next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. We're counting down to Halloween with daily podcasts, videos, and events in our 61-day Hauntathon. Follow along at the link in our show notes. Our Hauntathon is made possible through generous support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. Our Hauntathon team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Our partners for this year's Hauntathon include Sharp Productions, HorrorBuzz.com, ScareTrack, TheScareFactor.com, and Hauntopic Radio. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our weekly newsletter at HauntedAttractionNetwork.com. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.